From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today on the program, we highlight two Mississippi food companies, Delta Blues Rice and Crop to Pop. The Arad family award-winning Delta Blues Rice is milled and packaged from their farm in Ruleville, while John Looney's Crop to Pop Crop Corn is grown on his farm in Trivet. We'll talk with both companies about their start, new products, and how it feels sharing a piece of Mississippi across the country. You can join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 Or email the show, food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today on the show, we're going to highlight two Mississippi food companies, Delta Blues Rice and Crop to Pop. The Aaron family's award-winning Delta Blues rice is milled and packaged on their farm in Ruleville, while John Looney's Crop to Pop popcorn is grown on his farm in Tribbett. We'll talk to both companies about their start, new products, and how it feels sharing a piece of Mississippi across the country. You can uh, share, uh, sh- uh, join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show food at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Deborah. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. I am doing fantastic. I think I'm like in some kind of movie like Jumanji or something because it went from like three below minus <laughs> and then it was like 70 degrees. And then I promise you once again, knowing the arc were floating across my yard this morning. But other than that, I'm doing Absolutely fantastic. Happy to see you today. Thanks. Um, I had a a fun food thing. I had seen this recipe uh, on the Internet, uh, and it was it's microwaved homemade potato chips. Oh, and I thought, hmm, that's odd. Uh, So it's very simple to do. You just thinly slice a potato, uh, coated in oil, and I use some olive oil, and then I sprinkled some little bit of seasoning salt on there, stick it in the microwave for maybe four, four or five minutes, and it comes out amazingly. It's very crunchy. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, with the, with the sea salt on there, it was very tasty. So it was very wow. simple to do. And I was, it was impressed by the, uh, the result. So. Now I've never done potato chips in the microwave, Kevin, in the oven before. So I'm, thank you for that. I'm going to have to try it. Yeah, it was very simple. And, and like I said, I was a little skeptical of it, but it turned out to be quite good. So that might be, it's a uh, good for a little snack. So I had some with, uh, you know, it's, I guess, healthier than potato chips out of the bag. Uh, so I had a little hummus on there and they turned out quite good. So, you know, my my brain is probably like, you know, somebody's grandmother when it comes to the microwave. I enjoy the microwave from time to time, but I'm always screaming, it's the microwave. Don't turn it on already. You're going to burn up the house. You know, you're going to get chemicals. It's it's really crazy, but uh, it's necessary to have the microwave uh, because it just makes your life so much easier. All right. So uh, what wonderful co-workers we have here at MPB. Deborah's <laughs> running a little bit late, so we got a late start on. Oh, he would tell on me, right? She brought in, but <laughs> Michelle McAdoo, who normally does the phones for us on Monday, has come in and, and delivered us both uh, a serving of what you brought in this morning. And I'm going to like this because this is one of my favorite things. So tell us, tell us about it. 
Kevin, listen, this is macaroni and cheese on steroids, right? <laughs> it's just absolutely fantastic. It's really creamy. It's really decadent. You know, it's very rich. Uh, it's the fragrance in and of itself. You, it just pulls you right in. And it's just a traditional southern uh, macaroni and cheese. The only seasonings in here is just some coarse salt and, and a little bit of a pepper. And that's it. And But it's all that other yummy stuff. And then I created a rich cheese sauce, a creamy sauce to pour on top of the already cheesy macaroni and cheese. So are you happy this morning? Very good. <laughs> Like I said, <clears throat> have a bit of a headache this morning, so you couldn't have brought anything more comforting for me than the macaroni and cheese. And it's just, as you said, with this cheese sauce poured on top of it, it's just really, really good. Well, well, actually, Kevin, there was one more element that's supposed to be put on there because today, you know, we were talking about popcorn. And so I actually brought some cheddared popcorn to finish this with, <laughs> along with some green onions. But, you know, who needs that right now? It's just <laughs> so good. <laughs> So do you find when you make macaroni and cheese that a different type of macaroni works better? I know this is kind of the traditional, the little, little tiny elbow macaroni. Is that usually the best? Um, well, I like normally what I use, Kevin, is usually the miniature penne noodles when I'm doing macaroni and cheese. But today I was like, you know, we're going to go ahead and, you know, do a really traditional southern mac and cheese and put it in a cast iron skillet and it's it's raining you know the weather's been kind of gloomy so macaroni cheese is just one of those comforting foods that you know just makes you forget about the fact that you don't like your boss you know <laughs> your, your kids are stuck in the house with you whatever's going on in your life macaroni and cheese is just that thing that and it's loved all over you know the u.s everybody has a version of macaroni and cheese whether it is uh, seafood, a macaroni and cheese, lobster mac, pecan, sausage. I mean, there's nothing that you can't do, but there's, for me, it's nothing like a traditional bowl of southern mac and cheese. Interestingly enough, <clears throat> producer Java Chapman and I were talking about macaroni and cheese this morning. He said he's heard of macaroni and cheese ice cream, which is not actually ice cream, but it's um, different sorts of macaroni and cheese served in a in a cone. Jabba, tell us a little bit more about what you found out. Yeah, I see you trying to sneak in a few more bites. So. But, uh, All these snitches in this place this morning. What the heck? Oh, man. But no, I did see that um, you can uh, get macaroni and cheese and serve it in like a waffle cone. And I forget some restaurant on one of those in one of some fancy place and people were just loving it with, like you said, with the lobster mac, they were putting bacon inside of it and all the different kind of cheeses and people were just eating it out of the cone. And it was just it was just something. It's something new. Oh, Java, my brain just had one of those amazing haha moments. So what if you made a cornbread corn cone? Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I can see that. I got goosebumps. Whoa. Make a really decadent cornbread cone and then stuff it with the mac and cheese. You we know that's what I'm going to do next, we right? We need to take it to the test kitchen because <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's a million-dollar idea. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You heard it here first, right, MPB? <laughs> I'm claiming rights on that one, John. <laughs> yeah, because when I when I saw it, I was like, you know, the click, as they say, is clickbait. It was macaroni ice cream. I said, I got to click on this and see what's going on. <laughs> and it was macaroni cheese served in a waffle cone. And I said, that's kind of that's kind of ingenious because everybody's want to be on the go. I, I thought I thought 
thought of it almost. It's kind of crude, but it's like a hot dog of macaroni and cheese. Just something one <laughs> one handed. Eat it, eat it up, eat it good. You know. <laughs> I, you know, and I love the idea that there's so many, you know, creative, artistic ideas that happens, you know, when you're cooking food. And I, and it's and that really plays to the artist that I am, Java, because I get to go in the kitchen and really just kind of have fun and be creative and take food to the next level. And so to be able to, you know, know other chefs and culinary personalities and other cooks that are doing that, it just, you know, it just excites me because you really can take a simple experience and turn it into something really grand. I think that's what people were really, um, you know, um, appraising about it was it was a different experience on an old favorite. You know, people, um, you know, they have memories of eating the ice cream on a hot summer day with the cone and stuff like that. And then it takes you back, you're eating the cone, but then you also are eating that such decadent six cheese, uh, soft noodle, you know, fluff, <laughs> fluffy lobster infused. Java, I think uh, you're having a moment cheese. right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as, you know, it's just like you said, all about the experiences, but the culinary arts, as we're talking, um, in the kitchen is one of the places where you really just can be as creative as you want to be. You set your own limits on what can go with this and what can go with that. And, you know, that's one of the, one of the beauties. That's why they call it the culinary arts. And for, and for me, you know, I know people who don't like for, you know, their food to touch when they're eating. But for me, it's the whole experience of what if I blend this with this? What will I come up with? It's kind of like using, you know, paint on a canvas and then it, sometimes it's those things that you wouldn't really think that would be a great bite together, like putting popcorn on top of macaroni and cheese. It turns out, to, and, and it's white, the decadent white cheddar, you know, with the really creamy cheddar on it, right on top. And then sprinkling green onions on top of that and then taking that bite and your brain is going, yes, <laughs> you know, it's just really fantastic. That that really was quite, quite good. I mean, just the the different cheese flavors on there, the cheese, the warm cheese sauce on top just makes it so good. And then it's, you know, I don't know if crunchy is the right word, but, you know, cheddar cheese can sometimes get a, that little, and so you've got that, that chewiness to it, and then just the creaminess, that really, that was what I needed this morning. I'm, oh. I'm feeling much better already, because I was not feeling well. But oh. always a, a bowl of, of macaroni <laughs> and cheese, that's uh, better than May a May would love, doctor. Kevin, so, you know, I'm glad you're feeling better, because you're my Monday morning man. We've got our friend Kathleen from Osaka on the line. Uh, good morning, Kathleen. Hey, it's, Kathleen, good morning. Isn't it good morning? It's still raining, and now it's supposed to be cold tonight. My mind just can't handle all this rain. <laughs> Listen, I was going to pick on Kevin a little. I know how you always say you were trained not to eat on the air and be so professional. Let me tell you, they've got people, I've heard it on um, the dining show y'all had yesterday, the Splendid Table. Mm hmm. On Sunday, that's all they did. Some bonito laughing Kevin. <laughs> but they were talking about macaroni, cheese, and corn. And then they talked about a uh, cheese and corn ice cream. Mm. It's a Filipino thing. I said, oh, I'm brave, but I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, Kathleen, and, you know, I always say, you know, for me, being able to taste new foods and try new things, even if it's if even if I only do it one time, it just broadens oh, yeah. my experience, you know, towards, you know, what it is that my life is about, other cultures. And then sometimes that very thing that you think you'll never eat is the one thing you'll find out that you've got a craving for for the rest of your life. So 
Well, I haven't gotten to that yet. <laughs> I still don't like liver all that much. And green, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm eating the kale. I'm eating the kale. I have converted. All right. A big loaf of hat cabbage and go, amen. Amen. Okay. Y'all have a good one. All righty. Thanks, Kathleen. Good to hear from you. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, take our first break. When we get back from our break, I think we're going to be joined on the phone by our first guest. It's David Arand from Delta Blues Rice. We'll talk about uh, the products that they uh, make and also their roots in Ruleville. Back with more Deep South Dining after this. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to two Mississippi food companies. In just a moment, we'll be joined on the phone by David A. Rent of Delta Blues Rice. And later in the show, uh, we'll talk with James Looney from Crop to Pop, a popcorn company, both of them based here in Mississippi. But first, we do have a caller on the line, so let's invite uh, Rick from Grand Bay on the on the uh, phone for us. Good morning, Rick. Yeah, uh, good morning. I got well. I'll tell you what, you'd fall in love with me, man, because I got about $300 of cast iron over here now. It's, it's <laughs> amazing what I got for cast iron. And uh, I got one of them uh, new wave induction cooktops. Man, that is like uh, unbelievable. It's like, a, it's like a miracle. Anyways, I got a question about rice. Go ahead. How do you cook long grain rice in a microwave? Well, uh, Rick, to be honest, I don't ever cook food in the microwave. <laughs> Well, that's all I got is that cooktop <laughs> and a microwave. I don't have a stove. Well, th- but there are instructions on the back of your long grain rice. Uh, yeah, but it tells me how to do it on a stovetop. Um, actually, though, maybe our first guest might be able to help. So Absolutely. why don't we bring in? I'm going to leave it for David. Maybe he can tell me. All right. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Rick. We'll, see you. <laughs> we'll ask him that right off the top. Thanks for the call. <laughs> So we are joined on the phone now by David Aran from Delta Blues Rice. Uh, David, thanks for being with us today. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Hey, David. Good morning. Good so morning. right off the top, do you have any uh, help for Rick trying to cook <laughs> long grain rice in the microwave? Ta-da! Uh, I was really hoping y'all were not going to put me on the spot. <laughs> I, we have never, I've never tried to cook rice in the microwave. That's a, uh, that's a new one on me, I guess. Now, uh, I've I've seen people do it um, before, Dave. You know, they take the plastic container, put a little bit of water in it, put the rice in it, put the lid back on it, put it back in the microwave for a few minutes. I, for me, I am really uh, such a traditional Southern use your spoon, even though I've got like this $400 mixer <laughs> sitting on the counter. Right. So, um, you know, using a microwave for me is just, it's just a piece of decoration in the house. <laughs> right, right. You know, we, we always cook our rice on the stovetop, but when we go like the trade shows and stuff and things like that, or do demos at stores, you know, we we take a little, it's a little small rice rice cooker, it looks like a little small crock pot, and you can get those things for like, you know, twenty dollars at, at a at a at a retailer. Mm-hmm. You know, these really small rice cookers cook, you know, cook a little bit more than a serving, and those are, those work really well, and they're pretty cheap. Rick, you know, if you um, if you don't have a stove, you can use get one of those for cooking rice. Those work pretty well. Absolutely, right. and I saw some last night at Kroger's. So I, you're absolutely right. They're they're nineteen ninety nine, and um, and they're so adorable. They're just just the right size, like you said, for a couple of servings of rice. Perfect. That's right. And I got, they, get, they got good instructions and tell you exactly how to do it. Speaking of rice, I want to say thank you again. Uh, I, I 
I got here um, after the last time you did a show, and then Java brought me this really beautiful box, and it had your products in it, and I'm still enjoying them. I've got your grits, your rice grits, and your rice, and it's really just a really wonderful product. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for, for that. I appreciate that. You know, every anytime we can get a, a positive review, anything positive, we, we'd love to hear it. You know, that just makes um, my day so much better because, I mean, this, this business is built on referrals, and, and you just – that means everything to me. Thank you. So, uh, uh, David, Delta Blues Rice uh, in Ruleville in Sunflower County, grown, milled, and packaged right there. Um, tell us a little bit about maybe the, the history of your farm and, and, and your operations. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, you know um, – my grandfather, he had bought an old meal, you know, decades ago, and we would always just mill rice out, uh, give it to friends and family during the holidays, and everybody always commented that they wanted more rice. You know, the rice, the rice was really good. And, you know, at the time, we just didn't know if that was because the rice was better or because it was free. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we, we were kind of jumping around, you know, which one, which, which one is it? But uh, my wife and I, we actually lived in Jackson for, for six years. I was an engineer down there, and... Um, we really enjoyed going to the local farmers markets and, and meeting the people who grew our food. And in 2012, when we came back to the farm, um, we kind of lost that because there's not that. There's a few farmers markets in the Delta, but there's not many. But um, and with my job of being a farmer, it was hard for me to get to those farmers markets on a Saturday or, or whatever. And so that's kind of how the idea got started. You know, my dad and uncle and myself, we. Um, we were just standing around the shop talking one morning, you know, hey, you know, talking about how people always like the rice. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how we got started, you know. Um, back in 2013 is when uh, when we started this thing. And so, you know, the, it kind of it allowed my wife and I to take part of the farm to the consumer. You know, we enjoyed being able to experience out at the farmer's market. So that's kind of what we wanted to do as well, take the, take the farm to the consumer and show them what, Mississippi does, what the American farmer does for them by, and how they grow rice and what it actually tastes like. Because, you know, a lot of people, I mean, just when I'm doing demos at different stores, I mean, you'd be amazed at the number of people who have never heard of us who have, who said, I didn't even know rice was grown in Mississippi. Hmm. And so it's also kind of an educational aspect of it for, for us, too, you know, to get the word out there of what the farmer does for America. So uh, tell us about the operations. How many do you have that working on the farm? Well, on the farm itself, we have about um, five guys who help us on the farm, and um, we grow corn, soybeans, and rice. Um, we've been growing rice on our farm since the 70s, and um, with the rice meal, the uh, I, I started at first. I was doing all the packaging, all the milling, and it really just got to be too much for me. So um, we hired a gentleman in, from the area, and he helps me with the packaging. Uh, just it's, it's really just too much to manage the. Do the, to do the packaging and try to grow the crop at the same time. I still do all the milling uh, with his help, just to you know, because the milling is the most important aspect to ensure you have a quality product. You want to make sure it's milled correctly. Uh, so I still handle all that, but um, that, that's kind of our labor, labor force on the farm. So let me understand this. There, there are there other farmers that are helping you with this, like they are growing the rice for you, and then you're doing the milling process, or are you actually harvesting your own rice? and then doing the milling process? I am harvesting my own rice. Everything that is put in our bags is grown on our farm. We're, we're located on Highway 8 between Ruble and Minner City, Mississippi. Everything, uh, I know the exact field it came from. Um, so, yeah, every, we, we're not a, you know, we don't really have a, we don't have a cooperative of growers who grow our products. It's just uh, my family who grows it and mill it and package it. 
So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the process of actually growing rice here in Mississippi? Like what, like from beginning to end, tell us a little bit about what that process is like. Yeah, of course. Um, well, it really starts the season, the season before, the fall and the season before. You want to make sure you prepare the land and you want to make sure the land is, you know, good and smooth. Um, you know, what, what, no matter what the crop was previously, you want to make sure the land's ready for planting. That means you have a good, smooth seedbed. And then come um, uh, April and May, sometimes March, but April and May, we'll start planting the rice. And we'll do, usually do that with the tractor. Depending on weather conditions, sometimes we'll use an airplane. We'll, we'll flood the fields up. We'll use an airplane. The airplane will spread seed out over the field. So it just really depends on the growing season. But our preferred method is using the tractor. So we'll plant the rice April or May and uh, get it up. And then it's just a matter, depending on the type of field it is, you'll, you want to put water on the field. And you want to have about, you know, around one to two inches of water over the whole field. And the way you uh, manage that water on a, on, a, on a sloped field is through what you call levees. And those levees help to regulate the water. And if you've, if you've ever driven by a rice field, you've probably seen these little lines going out across the field that curve or whatever. Those mm-hmm. are the levees. Those are just small dots that are put up to help keep the water at a consistent level up, up as you go up the field because of the slope. Um, so that, that's how you manage water. Because water helps to prevent weeds, and, and the rice uh, does really does well with growing in the water. Hmm. Then come uh, August, September, the water's been cleaned off the fields, and you start harvesting. And um, yeah, there's a lot of small things in between there. Those are the, the, the big steps right there. Okay, so with the with the water um, being constantly uh, filtered into the fields, is there ever an issue about water conservation? Yeah, you know, um, on our farm, we do, we have tried several different methods of water conservation, and some of them like um, pumping pumping the water and then letting it dry down to where the ground is just kind of tacky, muddy, and then putting water back on it. You know, we're doing that on some fields. We have some fields that are perfectly flat that um you know that they don't require any levees and the water is a consistent you know a consistent depth across the whole field those are called zero grade fields we're using those kind of fields so yeah we we're constantly looking for you know another method to conserve water because our aquifer is a is a natural resource that we want to conserve you know we we have a lot of we've been really been blessed with having several big drainage ditches that run through our farm and we're able to um, pump water out of those ditches back in the field so we're reusing uh, water so we don't have to pump it out of the aquifer. So, you know, water conservation is a huge thing on, in, in, on our farm, something we take very seriously. We're talking because about... If we don't have water, but if, you know, if there's no water in the aquifer for whatever reason, then we don't have a farm. I mean, water is what makes the Delta so productive. We're talking with David A. Rent from Delta Blues Rice. David, if you would, tell us about uh, some of the products that your company offers. Yes, sir. Uh, what we have, we, we started out with, um, you know, just standard white, long-grain white rice. Well, then we started doing white rice grits, and um, the white rice grits have been very popular. Um, started going back to the white rice. Southern Living gave us an award for our white rice uh, back in 2016, and it's best rice in 2016, so that was a huge honor. And then in, at the end of 2016, Garden and Gun Magazine um, gave our white rice grits a Southern, uh, I'm sorry, a Garden and Gun Made in the South Food Award, so we won that. So that's that's been a huge uh, accomplishment and business booster for us uh, is the Garden and Gun. We also have a, a long-grain brown rice, brown rice grits. And, um, you know, with brown rice, you get the health benefits of uh, having that 
rice brown on the exterior because that's where all your nutrients are on the exterior of the rice and have that brown rice bran layer. Well, you know, one of the problems with brown rice is it takes a long time to cook, sometimes up to 35 minutes. Well, the great thing about the brown rice grits is that they cook faster than your brown rice. You get the same health benefits, but it cooks faster and it's clean because it just cooks easier since the grains have been broken up. And that's what rice grits are. They're broken grains of rice. Uh, definitely more than that, broken grains of rice. Um, and then just recently, in, deep back in December, we uh, we grew a jasmine rice on our farm this past year, and so we started selling that as well this past year. One of the things that I want to say about your grits, uh, David, is that they really do pair very well with savory dishes. They work really well, like with, uh, there's a shrimp and grit uh, dish that we did, and then I did a uh, sausage, and dooley sausage and chicken uh, over your uh, grits with uh, some onions and peppers. That was just fantastic, but the taste and texture pairs really, really well, uh, especially for, you know, for savory dishes. Yeah, I agree with that completely. We have on our website one of my favorite recipes is a sausage creole, and it's got a mixture of it's sausage and it's a tomato-based sauce, and it is it really is so good. It's very simple to make. I mean, I'm not much of a cook. My wife is, a, is, a, is an amazing cook, but even I can make that. It's so simple. So that's one of my favorite things. But as far as a unique thing is, uh, we have a it's called a rice grit arancini, which is basically just a fried rice ball. And it's taking it's taking a uh, garlic cheese uh, rice grit, putting in a ball, putting a little bit of pimento cheese on the inside, and then uh, deep frying it. And, and it, it it really is amazing. Think of a cheese stick on steroids. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so good. But you know, uh, and those recipes are all on our website. So you know, those are those are some of my favorite things to do with our rice grits. All right, uh, David, uh, we've talked a little bit about recipes, and you did mention your website, so if folks uh, want to know more about uh, Delta Blues Rice, point them in the right direction. Uh, Delta Blues, that's blues, plural, deltabluesrice.com is our website. All right. Hey, David, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you thanks, coming on the David. air with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed this, and anytime you have a rice question, please don't hesitate to give me a call. All right, okay. thanks a lot. Going to take a break. Thank when we you. get back, uh, we'll br- welcome our next guest to the program, James Looney from, pop, uh, from uh, Crop to Pop will join us. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Just a reminder, if you missed any of today's program, you can always go back and listen to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB Public Media app. Also, if you want to join our conversation today, give us a call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 Next, we've got on the phones our next guest. It's John Looney from Crop to Pop, grown in Tribbett, Mississippi. John, thanks for being on the show with us. Good morning, John. Hello. One second. Um, so in the meantime, Deborah, I did, uh, you know, <clears throat> for my third helping of the uh, <laughs> of the macaroni and cheese this morning, I forgot to put the popcorn on it. So I added the, the cheddar popcorn, and it is really good. I mean, I, cheddar popcorn to me is, is probably the best of sort of the gourmet popcorn that you can get uh, and really enjoyed that. Um, and so... It does. It makes for a really fun bite, Kevin, you know, to be able to just, you know, play with your food a little bit. So it's 
for me, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it, I mean, and so really, that dish has got so much. You know, it's got the. It was it cheddar cheese in the. It's in the dish itself. In the uh, macaroni, you got. Of course, you got your traditional um, mild and sharp cheddar that's in here. Then we have some mozzarella, and then you've got some parmesan and a little bit of cream cheese. And all, and those cheeses are cooked down in a roux that I've made. Uh, before that, and then once the roux cools off a little bit, I add um, a little bit of uh, whipped egg right into it, and that's why you got that you know really yummy uh, gooeyness that you like because the cheese and egg combined really gives it a, a wonderful texture. And then uh, just popped it in the cast iron skillet. And one of the things that I do with my skillet, Kevin, is I oil it and then I flour it just a little bit. You just dust it a little bit, and that way you get that crust all the way around because a lot of times people are fighting for those corners, and so it gives you a really nice crust. All right. I think uh, we've got John on the phone now. Good morning, John. Thanks for joining us. Hey, John. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Doing good. Excited. You know, I had to swim over here this morning, but other than that, (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) Uh, John, first off the bat, tell us where Tribbett, am I saying that right, Tribbett, Mississippi is, or is it Tribbett? That's right. Um... Tribbett is about uh, six or seven miles southeast of Leland, Mississippi. And if you go uh, on Highway 82 on the east side of Leland, you'll take a right on Tribbett Road, and you just keep going until you get to Tribbett. I know exactly where that is. Leland happens to be, uh, John, one of my favorite places. I've got a lot of childhood memories there. I've spent several summers in Leland. It was the first time that I ever had an experience with Delta mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're like little private jets, right? <laughs> they are, they are. Um, and, and somebody said the other day after this hard freeze that we had, they opened their doors when the weather warmed up and mosquitoes flew in. So <laughs> they don't go away. <laughs> I'm telling you, they, they are some kind of secret weapon or something. It was really funny. The first time that, that I was in Leland... Um, there, there's a street called School Park, and there's a little creek that runs past it. And so we're sitting outside as kids, and so my friends are all starting to go inside, and everybody keeps saying, it's time to come inside. I was like, no, I want to be outside. About 20 minutes later, it was like I'm covered in these things that are attacking me, and I was like, now I know why everybody else went inside and left me out. It's pretty crazy. So, John, is it true that you listen to MPB on your tractor? D- did we lose it? I think we must have. All right, we'll see if we can get him back on the air. In the meantime, mac and I am cheese. Still enjoying this mac and cheese. <laughs> Today was just a perfect day, Kevin, for comfort food. And uh, I woke up literally at four o'clock this morning, and I was like, "What do I want to say, Kevin, today?" And that's all I could think about. So I'm really happy that uh, maybe you and Java were sending those, you know, brain waves to my kitchen saying mac and cheese because I think y'all were having a conversation about that. Yeah, and in fact. <clears throat> Java came up with an idea for a future show, which I think should be fun. You know, when you first heard macaroni and cheese ice cream, it sounds kind of strange. But we were thinking about maybe in the next couple of weeks we could have a show, you know, what's the craziest food that you've ever heard of? Because a lot of times, you know, people want to have new uh, adventures in food and they come up with some crazy things. So it's interesting to see. I know that was one of my favorite things on the old Iron Chef program on Food Network was especially the original version. Uh, from Japan, the, just the, the crazy... You open up this basket and there's sheer horror and you've got to make a terrific <laughs> meal out of it. And I think that's one of the things, Kevin, that I'm excited about in the future is being able to do one of those shows. It would be just my luck to get a basket full of bugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's really funny because the things that we think are strange here are culturally accepted somewhere else. And so for me, it's learning to live in the world and be very broad about different ideas and, you know, different foods. Because there was one show that I watched, like one of these strange food shows, and people are eating roasted spiders. Well, Kevin, I'm running around trying to spray something on them to kill them, and somebody else is thinking it's a great meal. So it's just wonderful to live in a world and have so many yummy ideas to be able to share. Uh, could you give us an update on your cookbook? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited, Kevin. So I've got a, a call from my publisher this week. Uh, the book is actually in editing. I've still got a lot of work to do. It's kind of it's fun and it's scary and it's exciting, you know, because uh, it, um, my brain is going, you know, I want this to be a project again that everybody can be really proud of. And so I'm having a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. And the, hopefully by the end of the spring or the, somewhere in the middle of the spring, we'll be able to make an official announcement about the release date. Uh, and we are going to do a food tasting and release party at the same time. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's really I'm mean, I bet you that really boosts uh, book sales too. knowing people get a, a bite to eat while they find out about the cookbook as well. Oh, I'm a smart girl, Kevin. <laughs> so I think we've got uh, John back with us. John, uh, thanks for joining us again. Hey, John. Oh, you're welcome. So is it true that you listen to MPB from your tractor? I do, I do. I, when you spend so much time on a tractor, the radio just gets old, and uh, you listen to the same things over and over, and MPB really provides a, uh, a breath of fresh air for those of us that have to listen to the radio a lot. So um, I'm actually, it's kind of my go-to thing now. Uh, and there's, I guess the now the, the music channels are the, are, you know, I, I listen to MPB first, and then, and then uh, swap to those every now and then, but uh, I always try to catch, especially uh, deep south diving. So, Smart uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, so, All right, so uh, but, uh, Crop to Pop is, is your company. Tell us a little bit about uh, where the idea came from. Yeah, so a friend of mine, uh, he was kind of in the food business at, at, at the time, and uh, he asked me if I'd ever grown any popcorn, and I said no, but I, I'll try some, so we, we grew it, and we didn't know if it would pop. We really didn't know anything about popcorn. I don't think that there's any uh, commercial popcorn growers in the state of Mississippi. I think it's grown mainly in the Midwest. And, uh, but we did it, and we harvested it, and we popped some in the shop, and it started popping. So we figured we had to go with it at that point. So, uh, I had a friend of mine who was a graphic designer. She drew up the bags, and uh, we started selling it. And we got a lot of good feedback from people over it and uh I actually talked to David Arant. Uh, he and I are college friends. I called him and kind of asked him about getting started in the business, and he helped me out a lot. And uh, I'm pretty grateful for that. So uh, here we are. So we got popcorn, and um, we renovated the building that's on the farm, uh, and we'll start getting it in more and more stores here in the, in the future. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to things to come. So. You've said two things that, uh, for me, that resonate uh, what the heart of Mississippi is. First of all, Mississippi is a really good ground for you to be able to take something that's uh, not traditionally grown here and produce a really great product, really talks about the value of the soil that we live on. And a lot of times we take that for granted. The other thing is you talked about just being able to pick up the phone and call David and him help you. And what I found here in Mississippi, it really is a, a family of building great relationships, you know, to be able to 
you know, call your neighbor and say, I need, you know, some information or I need some help. And people are just open hearted about helping each other here. So uh, for me, being a Mississippi girl is probably one of the greatest blessings in my life, because unlike some of the stories that are told about us in the world, this really is an amazing place because, you know, in the business world, people are not necessarily always so friendly about sharing information. Right. I agree 100%. Uh, I've always said that, that the world's a small place and Mississippi is even smaller. And uh, and it's nice that you can call somebody that uh, has kind of paved the way for what you're doing. And um, uh, I mean, it's made it a lot easier on me. And, uh, uh, and I really appreciate it. And so I think that's one of our strengths that we have here is our community. So. So, um, what what variety of corn do you have to grow to make popcorn? So it is popcorn. Uh, there's different kinds of popcorn. Uh, what we're growing is it's called butterfly popcorn, and that's what you would get in the movie theater. Okay. Uh, there's another kind of popcorn called mushroom popcorn, and if you buy caramel corn, that it's more of a ball shaped uh, kernel after it pops. And so that uh, you can see where the, the name mushroom popcorn comes from, but. Right now, we're just gonna we're, we're doing the butterfly popcorn, and maybe in the future we will start to grow some of the, the mushroom popcorn. So, when it's growing, would it look like what we would say normally think of like a, a, a corn a cob of corn? Right, you're right. The uh, so it looks a lot like sweet corn out in the field. It's smaller than our regular field corn, um, and when the ears when they develop, they're a lot smaller than field corn ears. So. Uh, that was actually one of the problems we had harvesting the popcorn. If the ears are so small, we had to use um, a different header on our combine uh, because the ears would just go right through the, our, our conventional corn header. So uh, that was a, an issue that we dealt with, and we figured out what to do about it, and uh, we'll probably still investigate some different ways to fix our corn header to do popcorn in the future, but um, we've got something that works right now. So. So is when you is popcorn itself that particular variety is that the only use for it? Could you use it for something other than just popping it? As far I mean, you could grind it. Uh, I guess you can make grits or cornmeal out of it. Uh, we might try that. In the future. I don't. Uh, there's a lot of grits going around the state right now, so uh, we'll see how that that market looks in the future. But. Uh, I think that because the kernels are so small, you get a lot of the uh, seed goat in there, and mm-hmm. you want a bigger kernel for grinding, and that way you get more of the starch and not as much of the uh, the yellow part on the outside of the corn. So, so uh, what uh, products do you currently offer? So right now, we're only offering uh, unpopped popcorn kernels, and they, they come in a, a two-pound bag. Uh, maybe in you know we're still kind of investigating things and in, in, you know for the future uh like i said maybe we'll do popcorn grits or uh popcorn cornmeal uh, you can make cornbread out of it um something else i thought about is maybe a hot tamale mix or something like that uh, so i think that right now the the future is pretty wide open as to what we can what we can offer We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking with our guest, John Looney, of Cropped Pop, uh, grown in Trivet, Mississippi, a popcorn company. Uh, If you're still time, if you'd like to join in the conversation to give us a call, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back with more of the show after this. 
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. We're visiting today with John Looney from Crop to Pop, uh, a a popcorn company uh, based in Tribbett, Mississippi. He has a farm there. He's been telling us about it. Uh, So, uh, John, Friday, January 19th, was National Popcorn Day. Was there a celebration on the farm? There was. Well, it wasn't so much of a celebration. That was kind of the day that we announced that we were going to start selling our popcorn. So uh, a lot of people had known about it and were asking when we were going to be back on the market. And uh, so that was kind of the the day that we finished up with our um, our building that we were working on and we got our inspection done uh, the week before and got some bagged up and put it on the shelves and here in Leland and um, so that was a, kind of a big day for us but not not just a, a big celebration so to speak but uh, definitely a, a milestone All right. so, so farming is um, first nature for you how long have you actually been in the farm business before you actually switched over to doing um, the popcorn crop? So uh, just like David said, you know, it's a family farm. Uh, I worked out here when I was growing up and got done with college, moved back here. Uh, and so we we do still do other, you know, the row crops. We do soybeans and corn. We actually grew rice for a long time. We've kind of gotten out of that. But uh, so I'm, I'm kind of pulling, you know, wearing two different hats, so. Uh, I've kind of turned into a food processor and a farmer all in one. So um, we've been doing it. I guess uh, my dad and my grandfather started the farm back in the seventies. Sometime so it's been it's been going quite quite a while now. So can you tell us two things? One, what do you absolutely love about farming, and what's the most difficult thing about farming for you? I think the things that I absolutely love about farming is you're you're your own boss. Um, and you're outside every day. Uh, the, the the most difficult things I think are the hours that you have to put in. Uh, it, it keeps you away from friends and family sometimes. And uh, and then even though you're your own boss, I guess you still have to work with with family, and they can be trying. But uh, it has its rewards too. So it's not a uh, it's not a one or the other thing. But it's you know you take the you take the good with the bad. So. Um, but I really like it, and I considered doing something else at one time, but I ultimately decided to come back to farming, and, and I'm glad I did. So. It's kind of hard to walk away from it when you fall in love with the land. A lot of people, you know, and don't really understand, like, the whole process of farming, but one of the things that I do know, everything on the farm works, from the kitty cats to the tractors. <laughs> everything right. on the farm has to work. All right, yeah. uh, we've got uh, James from Wiggins on the line has a popcorn question. James, you're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, James. Uh, I have a comment, not not a question, okay? All right. Okay. But uh, I'm about 70 years old, and I I can remember when I was six years old, out there, you know, well, pulling corn and and shucking corn, and my grandpa always grew some popcorn, but it was considered kind of a luxury type thing, you know. And he didn't grow that much of it, but it it's been grown for ages down here. Right. <laughs> I just thought yeah. I would point that out, you know. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that that I've talked to that have grown, uh, have grown popcorn. You know, kind of as a as a side product. Uh, I don't know of anybody that's grown it on a large scale, and I could be. I I just don't know. You'd be able to be somebody else that's doing it, but I don't know of, of them. So. I think you're right about that, John. Commercially, I don't think that uh, there's an, an, I don't know of another farmer that's actually uh, doing that for commercial products, but most Mississippi farmers, you know, have probably grown a little patch of popcorn and a few other products, you know, on the side. It's just one, you know, one of the things you do. You want to see what the land can actually produce, you know. So you do it for fun for the kids to have something, you know. Mm-hmm. And we have a we have a black eyed pea patch in the summertime, and uh, right now we've got uh, a green patch. Uh, we've grown some watermelons, and so we've got you know wide, pretty wide variety of things that we have grown that weren't necessarily uh, commodity crops. So, thirteen billion quarts of popcorn consumed each year in America. So, John, what's the future of your company? Are, are we talking to the next Orville Redenbacher, or are you going to stay on a, on the small side for a while and let it grow kind of uh, by, s- slow and steady? We'll see. I really don't uh, – not not really sure right now. We'll uh, kind of see how this year goes and, and decide uh, later on once we kind of have a few more data points to, to evaluate. But, I mean, we very well could be the, the next Orville Redenbacher. I think that – my goal is to have a product that everybody can buy that is locally grown and is, is a good quality product. I think Looney Corns is going to be a worldwide uh, product. I just I see that happening. I really do. If, with a name like that, it definitely has a ring. To it. <laughs> so, uh, any tips uh, for folks uh, making popcorn at home to make sure that they get some some good pop out of it? Um. If you've got some kind of a popping apparatus, uh, I would just follow the instructions on it. Um, I, what I use is a whirly pop. Uh, it's a, a pot that you put on the stove that's got a stir, and, you, and there's a crank that goes through the handle, and I find that it does as good of a job as anything. I know that uh, some friends have actually told me they popped it in the microwave and put a little bit of oil in it and put it in a paper bag, I think is, is what they told me, and um, you put it on high. And just when it stops popping, you take it out. So, um, there's you know a hundred different ways to to pop popcorn, um, whether it's the microwave or it's an air popper or you use oil. So the best the best thing I think to do is just to kind of experiment and find something that you like. Uh, and you can put sugar on it. You can make it as healthy or unhealthy as you want. <laughs> um, like I said, there's just a, a, a lot of different ways to do it. All right, so, John, thanks for joining us. Before you go, tell us if folks uh, want to know more about Crop to Pop and the work that you do, where can they find more information? Uh, I've got an Instagram page and a Facebook page called Six Mile Farms, LLC. And there's a bayou that runs through our farm called the Six Mile Bayou, and that's where that name comes from. So that's right. the, uh, the company name is Six Mile Farms, LLC, and uh, the product is Crop to Pop. So hopefully in the future we'll have some other, other products under that, that business name. All right, very good. John, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to MPB. We always love to hear from our listeners, so thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy your day. All right, before we go, we've got Elise from Vicksburg on the line. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Hi, are you with us? Yes, yeah. Can you all hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I just wanted to make a comment when you guys were talking about weird food combinations, and you said uh, something about macaroni and cheese ice cream. 
I have not tried that, but I will say it was sort of an accident one night when I was get, I kind of, kind of hungry and I wanted a snack. I uh, mixed buffalo sauce with vanilla ice cream, and I'll tell you what, it is it's delicious. <laughs> I can it's see it. that. I can really see that. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys are getting um, curious or experimental, you should try it sometime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks so much for the call. That Yeah, I can see the... The, you know, the hot of the buffalo sauce with the creamy ice the cream. The sweet and the heat yeah. balancing each other out. Some ice cream company was listening to her just now, <laughs> and she's going to be mad because she's going to go to the grocery aisle and there to be. You know? <laughs> That's going to wrap us up for today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Deborah Hunter and our guests, David A. Wren and John Looney, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Monday at 9 for another Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.